0: I feel like we could, we've already had church. You know, really, I, I'm just so impressed with Mindy. But something that I, God has been dealing with me about, and I, I love how he does this to me. He drops something in my mind, in my heart, and I just say, oh, that's great, Lord. And then when he keeps doing it, I keep thinking, okay, maybe you're saying something more than just that. And uh, what, what has been ringing in my mind and heart for, for weeks now has been that phrase from scripture where Jesus said, if I am lifted up, then I will draw all men unto me. So I started looking more and more into that phrase and studying the surrounding scriptures. And I would recommend you do that anytime. You know, we all all have certain scriptures that we hold on to and scriptures that are dear to us. And, you know, maybe, did anybody use those daily bread scriptures maybe years ago? You know, I know Nicole and her mom, they used to have that little bread box that would sit on the kitchen table and they would read one of those before she went to school every day. And um, those are wonderful the downside is you don't often see the entire context of where a scripture sits. So, this particular scripture, if you didn't, weren't aware of the context, you might think, you know, what, I wonder what Jesus was talking about when he said that and where, where did that all come from? So, what we're going to do is tonight, and, you know, I'm not sure how much more we will do this. You know, next week, obviously, is the, the day before Thanksgiving and we won't have service in here. But, but I'm just saying that this is something that I've been meditating on and I've got lots of. <laughs> stuff that we won't hear tonight, of course, but I'm not sure that we'll even talk about it. But here's what I'd like to do. Let's take a look at where this scripture happens. I want you to see the entire context of what was happening when Jesus said this. Well, let me. Well, anyway, we'll we'll take a look at this. Now, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. Let me tell you what just happened before this in the book of John was the triumphal entry which was pretty glorious. Wasn't it? I mean, Jesus was acclaimed and people were saying, Hosanna, you know, here comes the son of David. And you would think that in earthly terms, that would be a pretty high moment. So then Jesus, at least the way John arranges things, he says that Jesus starts here talking some pretty morbid talk. He starts saying things that we don't expect him to say at this point. Kind of like when pastor was doing a funeral uh, last weekend and was saying, you know, if God called me home, I, you know, I think I'd be happy to go. And I'm thinking, pastor, I I know what you're saying. I just don't want you here to talk like that. (laughs) I'm sure Jesus disciples for sure. And you will see that even the people are kind of confused at what Jesus is saying. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Try to imagine being in the crowd and thinking, yeah, what are you saying? Now, my soul is deeply troubled. Now, he's saying this to quite a few people. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice from heaven saying, spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, others While others declared an angel had spoken to him, then Jesus told them the voice was for your benefit, not mine for, for uh, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Isn't this interesting? It's getting interesting, isn't it? Because imagine what the people there were thinking what? What's he talking about now? He's talking about the time for the enemy to be cast down and for Jesus to be lifted up. And he's, it's confusing. The crowd responded, Hey, we understood from scripture that the Messiah would live forever. How can you say the son of man will die? So they're asking him two questions here. How can you say the son of man is going to die? And then who is the son of man? Anyways, they are so confused. They still don't understand if it's you, then why are you saying you're going to die? And if you're going to die, then how can all this happen? They don't get it. Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they were going put your trust in the light while there is still time then you will become children of the light after saying these things jesus went away and was hidden from them can you imagine if you were one of his followers wouldn't you have had that gripping tightness in your chest because you're thinking What's he saying? Is he saying it's all over? Is he going to leave? Is he going to die? If he dies, what's going to happen? I mean, they didn't catch the kernel falls and then it spreads into other kernels. I mean, they couldn't have, they just didn't know what was going on. And I'm sure that there was a panicky feeling because whatever they thought was going to happen, however they thought that the Messiah was going to come and however they thought he was going to bring freedom and and wholeness and healing and salvation and all these things that he'd already preached about, they couldn't understand how in the world this could happen. (laughs) They were at a crisis a crisis point. And it's not a crisis point like what we think of. I mean, we think of historical crises. And I I, I may have even said it myself, but I've, I know I've heard a lot of people for certain in the last election saying that we're at a hinge point in history here. And certainly there have been hinge points in history. We can point to huge events that change the course of history forever. I mean, you may think of huge disasters or ruling people who were ruling or, or maybe you know, something that started a world war, those types of things where the history, everything hinges on it. And sometimes we get to be like that. It's almost like the high schooler who comes to you and their whole world is falling about apart, right? Because he likes her and not me. Remember? And you try to tell him, I know your world is falling apart, but it's not, right? But this is a real crisis. This is a crisis. In fact, If you look in the Amplified Version, my understanding is that in the Greek, the word there is crisis. It says this, now the judgment, the crisis of this world is coming on. The sentence is now being passed on the world. Now the ruler, the evil genius, the prince of this world, shall be cast out and expelled. We were actually at a crisis point. Here's the crisis. Christ himself literally becomes the crux of history. He literally becomes the hinge point of all history. I want you to think about this for a second. What would have happened had he not done that? Had the world gone on the way it was? What, what would have happened? I mean, Christ, we see him at different points talking about, even in this portion of scripture, saying, what should I do, pray to God that I wouldn't do what I was actually sent to do? I mean, he says that. He says it as a what if, in a sense. Imagine if he had chose differently. I mean, imagine the the course of history at that time. Who knows what would have happened? We don't know. You can't really even postulate what would have happened past that point. But this was a true crux of history. The point where he was going to either save us from all sin and eternity and give us a new life in Christ or not. And the world would continue on its downward spiral. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. This is the crux. This is the very point where all of history hinges. It's amazing because as we lift him up, think about it for a minute. John says that part of what he was talking about was the manner of his death. I guarantee you that everybody listening at that point had no idea he was going to be crucified on a Roman cross. That in their minds at that point would have been impossible. And think about how that turn of events all happened, how quick it happened. I mean, in the course of of history, I mean, Jesus preaching three and a half years or so. And in three days, he went from being, you know, this person who everybody was worshiping to crucified. Their heads had to be spinning. I mean, all of this was happening. There's a, a rush, a rush trial. He's captured. I mean, all these things happen. You know, the last supper, all of this happens and boom, he's crucified. This is what was happening not only, but I want you to understand something about this. When Jesus say that, said that he had to be lifted up, he didn't say that he had to be crucified. The reason is, I believe, is that he was, he was using a play on words and he was trying to tell them something more than just this event. He was describing the event, but it was more than just this event. He was going further than that. He didn't say the word crucified. Instead, he said, lift up which we all see see as, now, of course, he's talking about being lifted up on a cross, but he was also talking about being exalted, himself being lifted up, being shown up above and to all mankind. There's something about that. It's interesting because it was his very sacrifice that magnified him. Now, that goes counterintuitive to most of the way we think, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like almost everything about Christianity is a contradiction at least in the way that we think. It's interesting because we think of a crown that's maybe gold and ornate and has jewels, but the crown that Jesus sought that was the glorification of Christ ended up being a crown of thorns, which represented pain and digging into his skin and blood and sacrifice and mockery. But he chose that, and that glorified him. The thing that for the world was a reproach and an embarrassment, I mean, being crucified on a Roman cross was something that was reserved for the worst thieves. For the worst, the worst people, and yet the, the glorious Lord who was sinless was crucified there like that. His reproach, or what we normally would think of reproach, ended in glory for him. How can that be? It twists our minds. Why would it even be that way? Jesus didn't deserve that. He was better than that. He was so much better than that. How could that be glory for him? Here's how it could be glory. He chose the nails over a scepter. Think about this for a minute. We're talking about Jesus who was present and part of creation. John, think about how the book of John opens. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Nothing that was made was made without him. He did it. That was the scepter. He could have ruled from heaven forever. But think about the glory involved in the nails. What did the nails purchase for us? The, nail, the nails purchase going through that, ended up being the glorification. That glory bought our salvation. Had he just stayed up in heaven, I guess he could have decreed it, but it wasn't meant to be that way. If he would have done that, he wouldn't have been the salvation for us. He wouldn't have been able to take our place in crucifixion and suffering that we deserve to, fa- to take. He couldn't have paid the price for us had he stayed in heaven. If he was just a good teacher, the glory would have ended there the world has been full of good teachers, full of good teachers. And lots of them claim to be God, but that's not where it stopped for him. That's not where the glory was for him. He taught well, there's no question. He taught better than anybody. I mean, the wisest. I mean, he was amazing, but that wasn't it. The glory was in the sacrifice. It was more than even just good teaching. It's the very expression of love that, that no one can measure. The glory is the fact that him giving his very life on the cross was the greatest expression of love in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did that when we certainly didn't deserve it. Not only didn't we deserve it, we didn't even respect it. We didn't even appreciate it. We didn't even understand it. And he did it for us because he knew what it was. It goes beyond that. I mean, greater love has no man than this. Greater love. Think about the endurance that it took for Christ to be on the cross. Maybe you haven't thought about this before, but think about it like this. He was 100% human. He experienced the depth of feeling that the cross, the pain that the cross gave him. He didn't scapegoat out of any of that. He didn't take any shortcuts with that. He knew exactly what it was going to cost him in a physical sense as a human man. I, I think often of that, uh, that movie, The Passion of the Christ, and I remember that scene where he's running as a little boy. Do you remember that scene? And he's running, and he's falling and skinning his knee, and his mom is reaching out and trying to protect him from that. It, it, it choked me up in the movie. You know, there's so many points in there where you get choked up, but in that point, I thought, he's human. He was a little boy. He scraped his knee. He knew what pain was. It wasn't as if being God exempted him from all that pain. He endured that for us. He consciously made an effort, and that's part of the glory of the cross. Not only that, but I think about this. There's an endurance factor there, because he was also 100 percent God. And I don't want to be too, too weird about this, but think about it for a minute. Being God, he was the creator of the universe. <laughs> think about this for a sec. He created the seed that grew into the tree that they cut and crucified him on. He knew that. It was there. As God, he would know all of that. He would know all of that. He would know that creation. Not only that, he was so holy. He, he so didn't deserve this. Like, the, like the, the thief on one side, you know, you had the two thieves and the one says to the other, don't say anything to him because he doesn't deserve this. We deserve it. But God, in all his fullness, being in Christ himself, to say he didn't deserve it, you can't even plumb the depths of the meaning of that. To, to, to think through the fact, not only he, he couldn't have deserved it, he didn't deserve it at all. He deserved, what did he deserve? He deserved deification and glory and worship. What he deserved was so opposite of what he was receiving on that cross. Not only that, think of the indignation of being nailed to a cross by a sinner who has no concept of holiness. Think about it. And as he's being nailed to the cross, he's forgiving that man. That is glory. That is glory. Think about what he achieved on that cross. Not only the fact that he had the power to pull himself off of there at any point, to call 10,000 angels. None of us, had we been in that situation, would have even had that option Think about it for a minute. We would have been at the total mercy of those guards and those humans as they were doing that to us. But at no point was he really at their mercy. He submitted to that. He chose that. The fact that he could have removed that at any point and escaped that pain at any point brings so much more depth to the fact that he endured what he didn't have to endure, but he did it for us. It was a choice for him at every point. And what drove him to that you did i did love for us held him on the cross i know you probably heard that song and sometimes the songs we sing end up i mean we hear them so much they it's almost as if they lose their meaning the fact is that's what held him on the cross the nails didn't it was his love for you that did it was the fact that he knew what he was achieving with that there was a work that he was doing on the cross that brought him glory that work that he was doing on the cross you know we often say salvation is not by works you know why it's not your work he did the work the work he did was done on the cross and he did it there it was his sole purpose for coming your soul was his sole purpose that's why he came scripture says he came into the world to save sinners that's why think about it for a minute he didn't actually come to preach he didn't actually come to heal people He didn't actually come to do those things. Of course, he did those things while he was here, but the reason he came, the sole purpose was to redeem you, to redeem me, to save humanity from all eternity, to save us to eternity, to be with him in eternity. That's why he came. That was his work. He was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. That was the intention for the whole time for him to come and to complete the story, the story that is is our fault. Remember on the cross when he said, it is, what did he say that it was? What was the it? <laughs> it was finished. What was the it? The it was salvation. It was us. It was the price paid for us. The redemption of our soul. That was it. It was the freedom from us living in a, in a, in a, in a world of bondage to sin that we can't get out of. It was, it was the freedom that, that we have put ourselves into slavery to sin that we can't walk away from from addiction, from whatever that is, that's the it that he came for. When he said, it is finished, it was the completion of the work for the very thing that he was sent to do. That's what it was. Think about this for a minute. This thought haunts me in a good way. He preferred the cross to all those other things. He preferred the cross to the triumphal entry. I guarantee you, I guarantee you as he was being paraded in there, he thought about all right, this is all right, but in seven days, I'm going to free people forever. I'm going to make it possible for them to live with me forever. I'm going to make it possible for them to live in freedom, true freedom. They will no longer be bound to the sinfulness that is within them, but instead they could live free of all that. He preferred that. Now, of course, the disciples didn't understand it. The ones hearing him couldn't have understood. Now, of course, you know, so many times we in the 21st century here, we we don't mean it, but we just think, oh, those guys were so so, so dim, so slow. How could they not see this? Well, we have the benefit of history and scripture and the gospels, and we still don't get it. The truth is, as they were looking at the cross as a disgrace, Christ didn't see that that way at all. I've heard many times that people, you know, if, if back then they were to see us wearing crosses as jewelry, they would have looked at us in disgust and horror. Why would you wear an execution tool as, as, as jewelry. It would have made sense to them, not before, but certainly afterward, it makes sense because we know what happened on that cross. The disciples were focused on the here and now, the temporal, the concrete, what was right in front of them. Jesus wasn't focused on that. Of course, he was focused in the sense that he was in pain and he was enduring it and he felt every minute of every hour of all of that pain and passion But he was focused on far more than that, on eternity, on eternity, on eternity. Something that that you could never buy with something just here and now. The only way it could be purchased was with sacrifice that he paid. Of course, the disciples thought death was it. They were were horribly, horribly mistaken, but they were also horribly, horribly crushed. Our hero, we thought he was going to do all this, and now he lays dead in a grave remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them and he says, why are you so upset? And they said, well, haven't you heard, haven't you heard everything that's happened? All that we had hoped for. And then Jesus carefully lays out for them the plan using the old Testament. And, and the Bible says that all of a sudden he allows himself to be recognized but hit by them. And they said, oh man, this whole time, do you, did, didn't you have that burning in your heart? Jesus was focused on far more than that because he knew that it took the very death of him to buy that and it was worth it to him. I think that what Jesus was focused on was crushing the head of the serpent. Do you remember that? All the way back to the book of Genesis when it says the serpent will strike her heel and her heel will crush his head. That's what he was doing on that cross. He was ransoming our souls. He was paying the price for us to pull us out of slavery, to pull us out of servitude, the servitude that we had bought ourselves into with our sin, and only his death could be the thing that would take it out. So how do you lift him up? Lift him up was more than just him being up on the cross and lifted up on that cross. It was more than that. We're we're also supposed to lift him up. We are supposed to lift him up. He said, if I am lifted up, that I will draw all men into myself. That is a charge for us today. How do you lift him up? You do it by preaching. You preach. Not just preachers preach, you preach. I mean, preachers need to preach. And what do we need to preach? We need to preach the good news of the gospel. Gospel is a Greek word that means good news. What's the good news? The good news is there's freedom from sin. What's the good news? The good news is that God, I like to use this acronym for gospel, God created us for relationship. That's why he created this. So many times you talk to people who are not Christians and they're confused. Why would this all happen? I don't understand any of this. This doesn't make sense. And when you start right here, I love seeing that, that look of understanding and awakening on their hearts and minds when they finally get it and they say, what? There's a God who loves me, cares about me? Yes, he does. But unfortunately, our sins have separated us from God. Our sins have separated us from God. Sadly, also, sins cannot be removed by your own good deeds. and pay, But the good news, paying the price for sin, Jesus died on the cross and rose again and then everyone who trusts in Christ alone will have eternal life. And then my favorite part of this, life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. It's not about the sweet by and by and all that. It's about now. Your life with him can start now and go forever. So let me ask you again, as we lift him up and the preaching part, which is what we're supposed to do, First thing I want to mention is this, you know, we mentioned this a few months ago, but, you know, Francis Assisi of Assisi is credited with saying, preach Christ always use words if you must. Um, think about that for a minute. What is that is saying is that you preach often by just your life and your lifestyle. You've probably heard that saying, you know, I, your actions speak so loud. I can't hear a word you're saying people read us like a book. I mean, there's so many of those cliches and phrases that illustrate the fact that you preach with your life every day in and out. When you do that, you are literally fulfilling this scripture. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. If you preach Christ with your life, you will draw men to Christ. You will draw people to Christ with your very life. No question. But I want to tell you also to use words because Actual biblical scholars have said that Francis of Assisi probably couldn't have said that quote. You know why? Because he was a preacher. He was a preacher. He wasn't a silent witness. He was a preacher. He preached everywhere he went. He told people about Christ. He was martyred for preaching, not for just living for Christ, but for preaching. I don't want us to ever uh, cop out and take a back seat and not, not say something. We need to say something. You need to talk about heaven. You need, people need to know that there's, there's hell. It's real. You care about it, and that's why you care about them. That's why you're telling them. Not only that, I think it's very important that all of us defend God's honor in this. So many people are so confused about God. They think that he's out to keep them from having fun and ruin everything, and he's mean and looking to squish them and all these things, and that is not true. Those are all lies of the enemy that, that he started in the garden with Eve, and it's perpetuated on to this day. The fact is that there is a real God. He loves you. He has the best intentions for you, and people need to hear it from you. They need to hear it from you. I mean, it's great that they hear it in church, and and God knows that they're always going to hear that from Pastor Newby. They're going to hear it from me. They're going to hear it from everybody who preaches up here, but they need to hear it from you (laughs) because there's nobody better than you to tell your friends and family. Eighty-some percent of people who come to Christ come because a friend or relative told them about it. Not only that, we need to defend God in this. Rules are a good thing. We live in a world that doesn't want any rules. At least they don't want you to tell them any rules. They've got rules for you, but they don't want you to give them any rules. The fact is that rules are a good thing and it's easy to sometimes to forget that. But every rule, I love this little formula, rules are meant to protect and provide for you. And you could work this out with any rule there is. Think about lying for a minute. I mean, there's a rule against lying because it protects you from the, the broken trust and for not being able to To feel safe around people. And it provides for you a safe environment where people can feel whole and and healthy and know that they can trust people. It's a good reason for that. You can follow that through with anything like that. And I believe you should be praying for this, that you have opportunities to lift up Christ. Look for these opportunities for real authentic divine appointments. Some people I know are really good at this. Now I wouldn't recommend saying, you know, I mean, you can work God into any conversation, but sometimes it can work against you. For instance, I was thinking about the chiefs. And thinking about, <clears throat> you know, you might say, I don't know, I can't think of anything good about that. Sorry. <laughs> but you might do this. You remember all that controversy with Tim Tebow, you know, last year, that was such a great way to open God conversation. Now, some people thought he was just silly and they hated him for that, what he was doing and praying. And I, I, I turned this around on a couple people, at least two people where i said, why do you think people hate people like that? <laughs> and they're like, I don't know. They think they're better than everybody. I said, really? Because I don't get that from him. He always talks about all his other teammates and see complimenting people. And it just seems like if somebody's trying to be good, everybody piles on them or something. And it's funny because then people are like, yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know why people are like that. And man, it just opens up the door. The key is this, that you have to be willing to preach. You do. And you have to ask God for those divine appointments and let him speak through you. And he will. But Thankfully, it's not just up to us as we lift him up. I want to just mention a couple things, you know, he's worthy. We lift him up all the time. We lift him up in these praise songs. We do, you lift him up in prayer, you lift him up in praise and worship. And he's worthy of every minute of that, that is lifting him up. And if he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto you as we are people of praise. That is a drawing thing. It's, it's attractive to people we need to lift up and talk about what he's done. We need to talk about what he's done. You need to tell people the stories of victories and what God has done for you. What's sad is we, it's not that we take them for granted. We just, it's like he does so many things for us. We just stop talking about them and it ends up like they aren't part of our normal conversation, but they need to be. You need to talk about these things with your kids and your grandkids. They need to hear these stories. They're powerful. They build people's faith and they draw them to God. They draw them to a place where they say in their minds, I want to know that God who does that. I want him to do those things for me. I want to know who he is. And we need to talk about those things more often. Let those things flow into your conversation, be a natural part of what you say and what you talk about. But here's the beauty of it all. That scripture specifically said, he will draw all men unto him. Did you hear that? He does the drawing. Of course, our preaching helps set it up, but he does the drawing. I love that. We do have a part, and we talked about our part, but he's the one who melts the hearts. Don't forget, he is doing it. He is always working. The Holy Spirit is always working on people's hearts. It never stops. He is always drawing people to himself. That's why he is there. He loves us. He created us. He yearns for that relationship. He continually draws men to himself. I love this about him. He's always focused on that. Always. Always we forget. We get off on our own thing. We're busy. We're doing good things. We're busy people. Things are important. We're doing things. He's never too busy. He never, fo- he never gets off focus. He is, he is intrinsically, supernaturally able to focus 100% on each one of us all at the same time. He's God. That's a definition of what God is. We can't. He never gets tired. He never sleeps. When you pray that, I love this. When you pray for somebody, say it's a lost loved one. When you pray for them, do you realize, I I love how pastor says this, you know, partly from those books, but those prayers don't have a shelf life. And he keeps working. Even after you lay your head on on the pillow and go to sleep, he's still working. It never stops. He doesn't stop. Let's read this again. This is an amplified version. And if I, and I, if and when I'm lifted up from the earth on the cross, I will draw and attract all men, Gentiles as well as Jews, to myself. All men. Would you bow your heads with me for a minute? If he is lifted up, he will draw all men. He will do it. Now, we have a part to play, but he will do this thing. Here's what I feel like we need to do for a minute. I feel like the first thing we need to do is, as we've been talking about this, we just need to thank him for what he's done he was lifted up. He endured. He paid the price for us. Can you just open your mouths for just a minute? And just freely, as God gives you thoughts, just thank him for this for just a minute. God, we are so grateful for everything that you have done. God, I can't even imagine.